I am really excited about this message for you guys today. Um, this is something that a little over a month ago, um, I was reading through Acts on my own and came across this and was just so struck by it and felt like the Lord said it was for today. So I hope it's encouraging for you. It's going to be in Acts chapter 9. And if you don't know, we have been plugging along through our Acts series looking at who Jesus is. And we've been asking two questions if you've been reading along on your own. The first question is, what's actually happening here in the text? And then the second question is, how does this pertain to me in my life? And so I hope you guys have been reading through Acts on your own and getting stirred up from it and all that. I know it's been fascinating for me. I'm going to be reading to you guys out of the Passion Translation Bible today. It's not a complete translation of the Bible, but it's my personal favorite. It's going to be fully completed, um, I don't know, I think it's a year or so from now. So I'm going to read you a big chunk. We're going to be in Acts 9, 1 through 22, okay? It's a story you're all familiar with. But let me go ahead and read it to you first before we kind of dive into the content for today. Actually, I'm going to pray first. Lord, we just want to hear what's on your heart for us today. We want to know exactly what you're speaking to us. And Father, I ask that every word that comes out of my mouth would be from you, Lord, that you would help us to just receive exactly what's in your heart today, in Jesus' name. All right, so this is a familiar story of Saul encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus. So here it goes. During those days, Saul, full of angry threats and rage, wanted to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Before I keep going, let me give you a little bit of context. So we've been looking at how the first church was formed, right? And we've talked about how the book of Acts actually takes place every 10 chapters is about 10 years of time. So we're in Acts chapter 9, so this has been almost 10 years of time has gone past when Jesus ascended, and we've been talking about how the book of Acts, although many people call it Acts of the Apostles, is more accurately described as the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that it's his ministry on earth that was continuing through people. And so we've, we know that Saul, I hope you guys know the story of Saul, he was a Pharisee, a very brilliant thinker, a very profound mind, and he also was unbelievably zealous. He had more energy and passion than anybody you could think of. And his passion was directed towards protecting the name of God in the Jewish tradition. So he was very venomous towards the believers at the time because he saw that as a threat to what God had established, and he did not clearly believe that Jesus was the son of God, right? And so, um, yeah, so he's been growing as a man. He's, I mean, you know, if we started when Jesus ascended, he was a really young man. At this point now, he's a full man, and he's spending his life's work persecuting the Christians. Okay, so here we go. So he was full of angry threats and rage. He wanted to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. So he went to ask the high priest, and he requested a letter of authorization he could take to the Jewish leaders in Damascus, requesting their cooperation in finding and arresting anyone who were followers of the way. Can you imagine being so, like, intently angry at someone that not only did you think murderous thoughts about them, but then you went and asked permission to murder them. This is kind of crazy, right? When I read this, you're like, and everybody that was the Pharisees were going, yeah, we finally found someone who's like a serial killer that's going to further our cause. I mean, that's kind of what's happening here, right? Like he actually said out loud, I want to murder a whole bunch of people. And somebody actually goes, okay, here's a letter saying you can do that. This is weird times they're living in. Okay. So 
So he asked for, for a letter, and he's essentially wanting to go to these different synagogues, show this letter, and say, hey, the high priest gave me permission. Anybody in your town that is, you know, they call it the way, or anybody that's following Jesus, let me have them. We're going to go imprison them. But we know his ultimate plan was murder, right? So that was where he was headed with all of that. Okay, so let's pick it up in verse 3. So he obtained the authorization, and he left for Damascus. Just outside the city, so this is Jerusalem, just outside the city, a brilliant light flashing from heaven suddenly exploded all around them. So imagine like a 360 lightning type flash, right? It was not just one thing they saw. It was actually all around them. Falling to the ground, he heard a booming voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The men accompanying Saul were stunned and speechless for they heard a heavenly voice but could see no one. Saul replied, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the victorious, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city where you will be told what you are to do. Saul stood to his feet, and even though his eyes were open and he could see nothing, he was blind. So the men, who had, to, so the men had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. For three days he did not eat or drink, and he could not see a thing. Living in Damascus was a believer named Ananias. Everybody say Ananias. Ananias. The Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision, calling his name, Ananias. Have you ever heard the Lord say your name? It's usually followed by something really interesting. <laughs> that could be, yeah. It's not necess- in some of these stories, it's a little bit uh, awe-inspiring. And so it, the Lord says, Ananias. And Ananias says, yes, Lord, which would imply this is a common occurrence for him. And the Lord said, go at once to a street called Abundance and look for a man named Tar- from Tarsus named Saul. You will find him at Judah's house. While he was praying, he saw in a supernatural vision a man named Ananias coming to lay hands upon him and restore his sight. Now, remember last week we were talking about hearing God say crazy things and there's always a confirmation, right? This is a great example of the Lord said something to him and he immediately had the confirmation of seeing this vision play out in front of him. But Lord, Ananias replied, many have told me about this terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has authorized this man to seize and imprison all those in Damascus who call on your name. In other words, could you come up with a different plan, Lord? And then the Lord Yahweh, I love how they add that in. It's like like the fear of the Lord comes in. Then the Lord Yahweh, we're in verse 15, answered him, Arise and go. I have chosen this man to be my special messenger. He will be brought before kings, before many nations, and before the Jewish people to give them the revelation of who I am. And I will show him how much he is destined to suffer because of his passion for me. I love this because sometimes when we're passionate about things, It's ultimately a passion for God that's misdirected momentarily, right? Paul's zeal for the name of God in the Jewish tradition was was a true passion. It was a real desire to see God, God's way come about. And the Lord saw that. And I love that because sometimes we look at people who are potential serial killer type people and we go, well, they could have nothing good inside of them, right? And not to say that, you know, we should always just blindly trust them. That's not what I'm saying. But it's interesting when God looked at Saul, he actually saw his passion for God and it, and it didn't faze him. This is fascinating to me. Okay, it says, um, because of him, because of his passion for me. Verse 17, 
Ananias left and found the house where Saul was staying. He went inside and laid hands on him, saying, Saul, my brother, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me to pray for you so that you might see again and be filled to the overflowing with the Holy Spirit. All at once, this crusty substance that was all over Saul's eyes disappeared, and he could see perfectly. Immediately, he got up and was baptized. After eating a meal, his strength returned. Within an hour, he was in the synagogues preaching about Jesus and proclaiming, Jesus is the Son of God. Those who heard him were astonished. This was like three days ago he was asking for permission to murder them all, okay? They were astonished at what was happening, And they started saying among themselves, isn't this the Saul who ferociously persecuted those in Jerusalem who called on the name of Jesus? Didn't he come here with permission from the high priest to drag them off and take them as prisoners? Saul's power increased greatly, and he became more and more proficient in proving that Jesus was the anointed Messiah. Saul remained there for several days with the disciples, even though it agitated the Jews of Damascus. Amen. Later on in that, if you keep reading, you'll see that it agitated the Jews in Damascus so much that they became murderous towards Saul and decided we've just got to get rid of this guy. So as I was reading this chapter, you can see I've underlined a whole bunch of things in here in my Bible, and here's what was happening. The Lord began to show me, as I've been talking to you guys the last few weeks about how what happens in the miracles in the healing realm is Jesus through us, right? Last week we talked about we extend our hand and then he extends his hand through us to further his work. And the Lord began to show me that just in the same way that the great things that happen and the good stuff on the earth is Jesus in us and through us, when the persecution comes... When the threats come, it's almost always, in fact, I would dare to say always, directed at the Jesus in us. See, what Saul was mad about was not about the fact that people were passionate. He wasn't mad about how they wanted to have religious fervor. He wasn't mad that they were, you know, aligning themselves with their own desire for God. He was mad that it was Jesus that they were pursuing, right? And then Saul has this dramatic uh, He has a dramatic transformation for himself, his conversion. And then it wasn't the fact that now he was converted. It was the Jesus within Saul that the Jews of Damascus began to have murderous thoughts towards. There's something about Jesus that makes people either love him or hate him. He's a very polarizing person, right? A lot of times we like to think of Jesus as like long flowy hair skipping through a field of wildflowers, but that's actually not really who Jesus is most accurately, right? I love there's, I forget where it is, but there's a verse where it says they, they, they recognized in Jesus that he was willing to tell the truth no matter the cost, right? That he, he would just tell it like it is. That's not always a person who's so warm and cuddly that you want to come and and snuggle with, right? Sometimes that's a very, like, wow, well, you said that, and that hurt my feelings, Lord. (laughs) But he's saying it because he's perfecting you, he's leading you, and that's not for today. Okay, but what I want to say is this concept of what is God doing in you that is threatening to the world and to the enemy? See, we get ourselves in situations where we are persecuted. Now, there's a very real persecution happening in the church that's not in America today, right? Overseas, if you're familiar with what God is doing in missions at the moment, you know, there are, I mean, people are being tortured, beheaded. I mean, crazy persecution happening just for people loving Jesus. So I do not want to say that this, what I'm about to say, is that. That's a very real thing. And what Saul was trying to do was that, right? This, this real, your life is on the line, persecution is real. In Asia, in the Middle East, these things are happening. Simultaneously, God is doing unbelievable things. Unbelievable things. We were in um, a Middle Eastern country 10 
10 years ago, to 11, almost 11 years ago now, and we were um, doing a short-term trip with a team of missionaries who had never, they'd been in that area for 15 years, they'd never seen one salvation. Okay, it's a really, really hard Muslim area that they were in. They'd been in a couple different areas in, in the Middle East, but at that time, and so our team said, well, we, we're just going to pray, you know, we're going to do everything we can do, and um, Grant and I were on this team, we weren't leading it, and, and so in the basketball game, a young man gave his life to Jesus, and it was one of the most empowering and impactful moments of my life. I wasn't there, but listening to the men tell this story, and one of the missionaries just tears in his face saying, it's been my whole life's work, and we've finally seen one. One. Can you imagine your whole life's work looking for one person? And then in the two years that followed, they have now seen thousands of people come to the Lord. Thousands. And they've gotten to this point where when they would start to talk to you and say, you know, are you, do you want to follow Jesus? Their next question was, are you willing to die for him? Around here, you say, hey, do you want to come to church with me? And somebody goes, sure. And then you say, are you, are you willing to die for that? <laughs> like, uh, no, <laughs> right? I think I'll go somewhere else. That's our reality. But in their reality, it was for you to even start to read the Bible. We're talking about a life or death situation here. But it's amazing for us to be able to watch sort of firsthand what happened and through the Arab Spring and all of that that happened several years ago and just the gospel exploding. What, what was one of the things that happened? Muslims started seeing Jesus in their dreams. Jesus appeared to them, and they would, the time and time again, and I've heard so many countless accounts, I couldn't even count them all, of people saying, I had a dream of a man in white, and he came to me, and he explained things to me. Is this that man? Is Jesus that man? And you listen to these stories, and you go, wait a minute. Jesus, you're appearing to them in their dreams? That's incredible. But yet it's happening here. That's what happened to Saul. He wasn't dreaming, but Jesus appeared to him. Right? And so one of the things I want us to take note of is that Jesus is still doing the things he started out to do 2,000 years ago. He is still moving on the earth in these type of ways. It just takes us being a willing vessel to be used by him to do that and also to have our eyes to see where he's doing that. And so in the same way that Saul had this incredible conversion, people are having conversions like that. Now let's talk about Ananias and his part to play in this story because this is a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but when I read that and I think, Lord, do I have the guts to say yes to you in the way that Ananias did, right? And what was it about your relationship with Ananias that allowed him the boldness and the strength to even say yes? We talked about it last week. If you missed it, you can catch it on the podcast about how, uh, about how the Lord, how it works with trust and hope, right? We talked about that, that trust becomes the seat that hope sits on, and that's what helps us to move forward in the kingdom. And so clearly Ananias had a lot of trust in Jesus and a lot of hope to even show up at this man's door. But here he is. He says, the Lord calls him and says, Ananias, yes, Lord, right? And he says, go to the street, do this thing, and this amazing thing is going to happen. How many times had Ananias showed up at someone's door and the person he had in the vision actually wasn't there? I mean, we don't have the account of that, but who knows, right? After this point, how many times did he show up going, this is what the Lord has said and it didn't always happen, right? But it's the fact that you show up that gives God permission to keep moving in you. Does that make sense? So we're not going for perfection. Ananias wasn't the most perfect person in all the book of Acts. He was just a willing vessel, and I love that. And so here's what I want us to learn about Ananias in this story today. It's this, everything we do, Jesus tells us to do it as if we're doing it to the Lord, right? 
Colossians 3.23 says, Put your heart and soul into every activity you do as though you're doing it for the Lord himself and not merely for others. I believe for us to see this kind of moments happen in our life, these just amazing faith moments that change the course of history forever, such a simple act, right? Who knew how Paul, everything he was going to accomplish? Ananias had a big picture idea, but not a little picture idea, but he said yes to the Lord. Why? Because he was doing it unto the Lord first. Some of the things in our life that are hard to say yes to, people that are hard to love, situations that are hard to move through, it will help you if you begin to look at it as saying, I'm doing this unto you, Jesus. In the same way that you can love this person, and I really don't want to, I can love them because you would, and I could love the you in them. Does that make sense? And so we do it as unto the Lord. John 10.10 10 says, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, or kill, and destroy. But I have come, says Jesus, to give you everything in abundance, more than you can expect, life in fullness until it overflows. So going back to this whole theme of Jesus in you and the Jesus in you that draws persecution. Okay, so I think that a lot of us get hung up on the challenging circumstances that we go through in life because we look at it in in a narrow-minded lens. Does this make sense? If we step back and we look at the whole picture of our life, which we can't do in today's moment, because what's to come, we don't always know. But if we are able to step back and say, God, what is your perspective? Sometimes we can see that the most difficult things that we've gone through was the enemy trying to get at who Jesus was being in you then and also to come. Does that make sense? And so what God was doing in Saul was saying, I'm going to put myself in you so that you become all of these amazing things you can't even foresee. And then the enemy comes in and says, we have to kill that person. It's not enough to just say he's nuts or crazy. We have to kill him because, of, because now we see that Jesus is in him and that's a scary thing, right? And we all go through difficult moments in life where we are, are attacked or persecuted, for lack of a better word, for the Jesus that's in you. And so this is what I felt like the Lord, one of the things I want you to take away from this morning, is that just as though it's Jesus that does the work in us, it's Jesus that attracts the challenge. Okay? So in, in, the, in the big picture of life, you have God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and then there is this adversary, there is this person, there's this being, I don't know what the best way to say it, he's not, no longer an angel, Satan, Lucifer, who was so close to the heart of God. And he understands God's relationship to you, but more than that, he understands how big God is and how able God is to perfect you into something that accomplishes his will. Are you tracking with me? Again, we are the vessels. We are the skin that he puts on to do the work. That's what's happening in all the chapters of Acts. People that just said, yes, the Lord, and he came in and he started doing amazing things. But we get tripped up when we forget about that, and then this really awful thing happens to us, and then we begin to say, well, why did this happen? Why is this, you know, we focus on this situation. But what I want to say to you today is to take a step back and recognize that your difficulty or your big trauma or your challenge that happened, even I'm talking about like before you were even walking with the Lord, was the setup from the enemy to attack who Jesus is in you, right? And so it has a little bit less to do with us than we think it does. I don't know about you, but I find a lot of comfort in that. I actually find help in forgiving people that have wronged me in that, because now I can forgive them in saying, essentially, it was darkness in you that was attacking light in me that created this circumstance, 
right? And that God knew who I was destined to become. God knew who you are called to, to impact the world around you, the, even just your home, your sphere, right? And sometimes we get, we talk about the world around us and we start thinking about all kinds of big platforms. I'm even talking about the simple platform of your dining room table and who sits there. And God knew the impact that you would have on those people. And the enemy goes, oh, I can see a glimpse of that. And, I, and if, if that person continues to surrender to Jesus, Jesus will, uh, will do all of these amazing things through them and I cannot have that, so I'm going to go after them. And it's not really going after you. It's going after Jesus, the light inside of you. Are you guys tracking with me on this? So essentially, I guess today is really sort of a part two from last week of, of what does it look like to identify the things that hold us back in our hope with the Lord and our trust with God. And when you identify them, then what do you do with it? right? And I just feel like there's this place of, of freedom that we can experience when we begin to recognize it's all about Jesus, the good and the bad. <laughs> Essentially, for lack of a better word, we're sort of collateral damage, right? I know that I've, I've heard different people say, friends of mine that have been very deeply traumatized and wounded from like birth almost all the way up into adulthood, and I've heard people say, oh, it's because the calling on you is so great, right? And, and the interesting thing is you would think that would make them be able to overcome faster, but it doesn't. Because then you begin to almost resent the calling, right? right? And I think that there's a flawed thinking in that because it is the Jesus in you that drew that from the enemy. But it's not the fact that, how do I say this? We all have the same potential to be used by God exponentially, Right, And so if we focus on our part to play, then we lose sight and we get tripped up. But if we focus on Jesus' part to play, then we can move forward. You guys tracking with me on that? All right, another thought for you. Revelations 12, 11. They conquered him completely through the blood of the lamb and the powerful word of his testimony. The powerful word of his testimony. So that is the gospel and also the faithfulness that is being written in your life. The moments after moments of God showing up, providing, protecting, speaking, doing amazing things in you, right? That's the testimony. And so we overcome these attacks, this persecution of the enemy that's coming at the Jesus in you by the blood of Jesus and also by the faithfulness track record that he is forming in you. Does that make sense? So I want to talk just for a second about the blood of Jesus because I think it's important. Um, I think it's important to... Yeah, to utilize. All right. I'm going to try to take a very big concept and simplify it. <laughs> so give me a second if I stumble over my words. All right, so Jesus on the cross, he, pay, he t- assumes the penalty for your sin, right? That is how we get salvation. He paid for your debt. From the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve sinned for the first time, the payment system that God put into place was a blood payment system. There had to be an animal sacrifice for their blood to be shed for the sins to be atoned. That's the yearly tradition of the Jews. In the, I think it's Rosh Hashanah. And it's like every year you touch this lamb and it's, it's a symbolic act that you're putting your sins on this lamb. And this is God's plan. He designed this. And then the high priest slaughters the lamb and spills the blood and your sins for that year are atoned for. Okay, All of these things, going back to the Garden of Eden, were set in play and in motion for that moment when Jesus would pay for your sins with his blood and then you would need no more payment after that. You guys tracking with me? And so at that point, Jesus' blood becomes currency in the kingdom. 
okay? So now it's no longer gross, like, you know, fluid. It's actually currency. And it carries this weight of power because it became payment for the sins that you had. So past sins and future sins, it is sort of, it's like supernatural math, which is my kind of math, right? Because two plus two doesn't always equal four in the kingdom. Like the five loaves and the two fish ended up with 12 baskets full over. That only is in the supernatural math, right? I don't, I'm not very good at math in, in normal, real math, but supernatural math I can do, right? And so here's how it works. God paid for the future sins that you who were not even born yet would commit with that one payment of his blood. So when we enter into salvation, we are essentially born again. We are born again in the spiritual in the same way that a natural baby is born. We pass through blood and water, right? So we have the blood renewal and the water renewal of baptism. That's how we are supernaturally born again, okay? Trying to keep this simple. So then, now you move forward and you do sin. You do have challenges. The enemy does come at you. One of the ways, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that the enemy comes at you is things like word curses. There are things like thought curses. When you hate someone so much, you can actually channel negative energy towards them that if they're that can really affect their life. You might say, wait a second, isn't that New Age? Well, the New Age got it from the Bible, okay? It originated in the kingdom of God. That's where it was designed for. There's this reality where our feelings towards one another affect each other. Our thoughts are the words we speak. James tells us life and death come out of our words, right? So all of this plays together. And so what happens is the enemy comes in and he uses people on their worst days, to do these things, right? Even good-hearted people. He takes them a vulnerable moment and he puts that little lie in their mind and they speak something over you. Good people say really bad things and then that thing plays on in your mind over and over again and every time you try to step out to do something great, a new job, a budget, a, you know, trying to love your spouse again, whatever it is, and that thing starts playing in your mind. Okay, and so the blood of Jesus, when we apply it to those things, it cancels that because it's spiritual currency. It pays for what the enemy was trying to do. Are you guys tracking with me? I heard it said one time, Reinhard Bonnke says, the blood of Jesus is like a soap, a bar of soap, and it is not going to cure your germs unless you put it on your body, right? I can carry around a bar of soap all day long and say I'm germ-free, but until I add the water and actually apply it, the germs are going to keep multiplying on my body. It's a little bit like that with the blood of Jesus. Not exactly, but a little bit like it. There are times where we have to apply the blood of Jesus to our life. But wait a second. Didn't I have that applied when I was born again? Yeah, but, but we have to reapply. In the same way that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened time and time again. We read last week where they were praying and the earth began to shake and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But that was after the tongues of fire day, right? There's something about this renewal thing that we have to be paying attention to and it's in the, our filling with the Holy Spirit and it's also with the blood of Jesus. And so I, I, I wanna say this because I want us to be the most free people on the face of the earth, honestly. Why not? I mean, when Jesus hung on that cross and bore the weight, bared, what is, I don't know what that word is, took on, the weight of the sins of the world, right? In that moment where darkness began to cover the earth because God just could not, it was just, it was a heartbreaking moment in heaven. 
And that was worth something. It was worth something more than just us saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus and then going about our everyday life, right? No, it was worth us saying, so every ounce of what you did on the cross, Lord, I want to experience that in my life. I see that happening with Paul here. It wasn't that he felt like he needed to go and then be schooled. He had an encounter with God. He didn't eat or drink for three days, I think because he was so baffled by what had happened to him, right? And here's what Jesus was saying. Jesus comes to him and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul did not think he was persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the people following Jesus, right? But Jesus looked at it and said, it's me in them that's making you so mad. So essentially you're persecuting me. So think about one of those moments where you were walking with the Lord and you were going for it and something came in and just, right? Maybe it was something somebody said. Maybe it was just whatever fizzled out. It didn't work. An experience like that where we were, you were persecuted in the spirit, okay? There was a threat that came towards you for the faith that you were holding in the Lord. Imagine what would be different about that circumstance if you were able to see that it was to Jesus that that was happening to you about. So you could say, why are you doing that to me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I have loved you. I'm a good person. I'm whatever your, your reasoning is in that moment, right? And Jesus looks down at that situation and he says, hold up. It's, it's about me in you that's drawing this towards you. And so what do we do with that? The reason why I'm talking about the blood of Jesus today is because I don't want us to just stop there in a theoretical realm. I want us to experience it for ourselves, right? There is true freedom in Jesus. There is true places you can get to where what you used to do before you generally don't do anymore and you don't even want to. There is a place where breakthrough comes and the things that were holding you back before are just not there. Not even that you think about them, but you can say no, but they literally aren't there anymore. That's what the cross was really for right? With restoring us to relationship with Jesus so that when he comes on the scene, just like he did in Saul's life, things change. So are you experiencing that transformation power in your life today? I really hope so. I can tell you for me, I've been on this journey of, of freedom for 10 plus years now, probably, I don't know, maybe 13 years now. And I still find myself having to go, oh, wow, Lord, and different things that come up, right? I, man, I've been taking this on myself. I've been trying to do this myself. Lord, I need you to step in the room. I need you to be you because, Jesus, you can do things no one else can do. And that's essentially what the story is telling us. Ananias, again, he didn't have the power in and of himself to cure Saul's blindness. It was Jesus moving through him. And Ananias was willing to be a vessel for God to do that, even if it meant imprisonment or death, because he did it unto the Lord. So I don't know about you, but this just kind of makes me geek out for a minute when it's like, okay, Lord, so it's about you, you're the one doing this, and then it's about you, and then you in power, and then it's really all about you, Jesus. It's not just a cliche thing we can say, it's genuinely, Lord, you are in all things, like Colossians tells us. You are above all things. You are working in all things. And so if, you, and I love this quote that says, you know, that God works everything out for your good, right? That's not a quote, that's in the Bible, but this quote says... You're like, I think I've read that before in this book. Um, no, it, where it says uh, that if it's not good yet, God's not done with it. Right. A couple weeks ago, I had this picture, and it was of ashes, and I saw the Lord, um, like pottery, you know, style, forming these ashes into something really beautiful. And what was interesting to me was in the picture, he is not the one that set them on fire. He discovered them having burned and began to work to mold it into something, 
right? A lot of times we, we attribute to Jesus, it's your fault that this happened. Like, like let me say it this way. The persecution we experience is because of the God that's in us, right? But that does not mean that Jesus sat around in heaven and said, I know what would be fun. Let's set fire to this part of your life, right? He doesn't do that. But sometimes we think, oh, God's in control and he let this happen. And we like, we remove his emotional state from it. And we can't do that because Jesus, sometimes his hands are tied because we need his blood to come and pay for something, right? Sometimes the, the Old Testament, because a, a the Old Testament says it, a curse without cause cannot stand. In other words, there are some times that curses do work in our life because we've decided that we would rather sin than love Jesus. We've decided. See what I'm saying? That's for another time to really dig into. Ask me questions if you have them about that. But sometimes these things happen, and Jesus' hands are tied. But do you know what he's doing when he's watching this terrible thing happen to you? Number one, sometimes he's crying because he's commiserating with you. But number two, sometimes he's already starting to scheme how he's going to turn this into something that you're going to really enjoy later. Not that you wish you could go back and do it again, but that, it, that you'll feel like, man, Lord, look how your faithfulness was perfected in the midst of this pile of rubble. Right, And so I love this image of Jesus sitting and gathering the ashes of our life and creating something really beautiful. And sometimes he gathers them in a way where we begin to feel okay enough to look at the situation and acknowledge and, you know, and see, but he's not done creating his formation with it. And so even in that place, we have to step back and say, Lord, if it's not done yet, it's going to be good when it's done. So if it's not good yet then Lord, give me patience. Help me focus on the big picture. Help me be like Ananias and say, even if it's unto death, I can say yes to you in that. You guys tracking with me? So in our pre-service prayer today, there was a couple of prophetic words that I felt like were all they themed together. And one of them was um, that God wanted to be personal. He wanted to display his goodness to you on a very personal level today. Another one was that he wanted to fill your house with his presence. Another one was that today would be a day, as all days are, but today would be a day where we could experience the manifest presence of God coming and covering over us. There was another one. These are all different people. There was another one about like winds of shaking coming like a tree that was a good tree that had a couple of dead branches on and the winds of shaking coming and the dead stuff came so that the tree could continue to live. And when I was listening to all these things happen, I, I had, I, I just, obviously there's a theme there, right? And I was just struck by the reality that what we're looking at in this chapter in Acts 9 is Jesus walking onto the scene and doing something amazing. And all of these prophetic words, to me, are the same thing. It's when Jesus walks on the scene, something amazing begins to happen, right? And so even if you don't, you know, walk away with having thought anything about this text, what, what I want to do to end, and I want to spend a little bit of time, is inviting Jesus to come on the scene, to come on the scene of your life and to be as real to you as he was to Saul on the road of Damascus, to be as shattering to you as he was to Ananias in that moment of obedience, right? I'm not really saying that I think you're going to walk away with some grand gesture that you're supposed to do. That's not really what I feel like the Lord is saying. What I feel like he's saying is that we just need to come into his presence with an expectation that he will physically be there as real to you as the person sitting next to you is, right? Because that's what this is really all about. I know that when we, when we are listening to social media you know, you can listen to any preacher that you want. And sometimes as we listen to different clips and things people share, it's like we almost get desensitized to the fact that there's a real person at play behind all of these things, right? That Jesus is not just God, he is God and he's a person in the midst of that, 
right, as real to you as you are. And so if we pursue him from that avenue, if we come at it and we say, Lord, I want to experience you being that real to me, he will. He really will. So are you guys game for that? I would love to just spend, we've got five minutes, I would love to spend just a few minutes, turn, I'm going to turn on some worship music, and um, I want us to just take a second and just say, Lord, I don't know, you may resonate more with Saul's transformation than you do Ananias, or you may vice versa. Um, but either way, we're going to ask the Lord to come and to speak to you directly. Um, yeah, and also, if you have a moment where you feel like, man, I need to apply the blood of Jesus to an area of my life, this is your opportunity to do that. And here's what it looks like. It's very simple. The blood of Jesus is current. Imagine it like currency. Lord, I thank you for your blood. And I'm asking that you would pour your blood of Jesus over this thing that was this, this word that was spoken over me that has caused me so much havoc or over this situation that was so difficult. Lord, we just apply the blood of Jesus and then we, and then we thank you from that place. And so, Lord, I just, I just honor you today, Jesus. And we thank you that when you come on the scene... You are so real. So I'm asking this morning right now that we would each have an encounter with you, with your manifest presence, that this would be a moment of sweet surrender before you, Lord.